So what's in a name? I guess I could be calling this episode. Oh, it came to me. I'm going to call this episode Aloha Hatchling. Aloha Dune Steve. <laughs> because Aloha can mean either hello or goodbye. All right, that's not too bad. There's an old saying uh, in filmmaking that films are not released, they escape. I, I checked to see who had said that, and for some reason it's credited to Ben Burt in a documentary from 2002 about Star Wars Episode Two. I guess it's possible that it was coined there, but now it much more feels like something in the, the 70s that one of those maverick filmmakers that made such an impact on the industry said. And what it means is that you're never done with the art. It's never finished. There's always things that you would like to fix, things that you would like to improve, things that didn't quite come out right, and eventually the time comes that you just have to put it out. It has to be released, you know, studio-mandated release schedule, etc., etc. I am reminded of in 1997 when Titanic was supposed to come out in the summertime and it had had these enormous cost overruns and production delays and the budget had spiraled out of control. It was a James Cameron movie, so it already had an extensive budget, but oh wow, they were still working on it as spring was turning into summer and uh, one of the crew members in a uh, interview with Entertainment Weekly said, we're hoping that Jim will give us a day off in July to go see the movie. And I always found that to be very, very funny. Eventually it did get bumped to December and the rest is history. That's still one of the great success stories the opposite of a cautionary tale is, is the Titanic story, and uh, it can't be understated what a phenomenon Titanic was. The biggest phenomenon of my conscious lifetime in film. I, I was just too young to see what a hit Star Wars was. I did see E.T., but uh, still, I was still young enough that... You know, I only saw what the kids were talking about. Anyway, sorry, that is a tangent, which is what I do. The tangent cast, I'm Rish Outfield, your host. What were we talking about again? So I am reminded of the films are not released, they escape dictum, if that's, if I'm using that word correctly when it comes to my own work. I'm of two minds when it comes to my own work. You know, a lot of times I am very proud of it. I, I work hard on my writing and audiobooks, but I am one of those people. I can always find things to improve. I always want things to be better. And I don't use the word perfect here because nothing I write is ever going to be perfect, but I want it to be good. And there are times when it's an uphill climb. It's just, it's not getting there. What can I do to get it there? Recently, I put out Newfound Fame here on the show. And I re-listened to some of that. I didn't re-listen to all of it. But I re-listened to a hefty chunk of it, trying to figure out where to put the act breaks, if you will. And... Uh, there were moments where I was just like, ooh, no, oh gosh, dude, do that part over again. There were a couple of moments where I heard, where I said the wrong word. And there was nobody to catch it and say, hey, I wish, let's do another take. And I didn't even catch it when I was doing the editing, which is so slow and painstaking. Unless you have done audio work, you probably can't imagine. And I, yeah, there were moments where I was just like, ooh, I could improve on this part. Oh, maybe I could have written this little scene here. And it's like, why, why don't I talk about Ernst Tillerman's 
like his life and, and his childhood and stuff like that. Th this would be nice. I'd like a little bit of backstory here for the guy. It's something that I put out years ago and I'm still thinking, oh, I could do better. Everything is like that. And the, I finally put out the book that I wrote in 2020 called Hatchling. I put it out in text form earlier in 2022 and I put out the audio finally recently and the audio took a long long time for me to get out and I think part of it is just a it was the most lengthy audio recording process of anything I've ever done but two I, I just kept not being happy with it. I would get to the end of a chapter and be like, huh. And that's not good. You don't want that. You want each chapter to be really solid and for the listener, let alone the writer, to be eager to go on to the next chapter. I struggled with Hatchling. I struggled with whether it was good or not. And something that I struggle with even more, as you can tell from what I'm saying, is promoting my own work. Almost without fail, anytime a, a film is coming out, the actors are contractually obligated to do a press tour where they answer a bunch of questions, where they are interviewed over and over and over again when there is a big press line when they go on the talk show circuit and their job is to sell the film, to be positive about it, to make it look good and uh, promote it. And I know that there are some actors that really don't like doing that, but it's your job to put on the most positive face that you can to go on to Jay Leno or Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Eat World. I know there's another Jimmy. And, and tell the story about the making of and be asked the exact same question over and over and over again and answer it as though no one has ever asked you that question before. There are some of these guys that do it so well that you go, wow, it, this feels fresh. This feels unrehearsed. This feels spontaneous. And then, yeah, there are others that don't do it as well. Uh, the, the example that people always go to is, is Ben Affleck when they were promoting Batman v Superman and people asked questions and uh, you could just see this look in his face where he wanted to be elsewhere. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And people interpreted that look I've on his face as, oh geez, this is not great or this movie is not great or my life is not great. And... Um, I've been on the other side of the press tour thing. At the very, very end of when I was doing my horror film review site, we started getting screeners sent to us, and then we started getting like interview invitations. You know, so-and-so uh, studio is putting out this horror movie. Would you be interested in interviewing the director or the star, et cetera, et cetera. And I had been going to San Diego Comic-Con for free using that website as my press credential. And I got to go on one of those interview circuits where um, you go into the press room. There are a bunch of people, whether they're directors or actors, who are there to promote a project you have a table that is yours, and I, I ended up sharing it with another person because I'd never done it before. And the talent rotates from table to table. You're given X number of minutes, let's say five. It was really fun. It was really interesting. But the website was in its death throes. Jeff did not want to continue with it. And that is really too bad because I was really enjoying that. And, it, you know, when, when we would get an email and they'd say, would you like a copy of X to review? You know, they'd send us the DVDs. They'd send us, eventually they started sending Blu-rays. 
even though I don't have a Blu-ray player and, you know, the chance to talk to some of these people, if we had continued it and if we had done it on YouTube instead of just in text, it might have actually made money for us. But, you know, hindsight. Jeff did not want to continue it, though. I would write reviews and I would send them to him and he wouldn't upload them. You know, he, he didn't have to do any work other than just, okay, here's a new one, go into it, create a new page, here's the links, etc. He He wouldn't do that. It upset me and it put a little bit of a strain on our friendship because I would do this work and he didn't care. And we were still getting together, still watching horror films, and he just, yeah, it, he the magic had been lost for him. And part of me thinks, well, maybe there would have been some way to continue it without Jeff, but no, there wasn't. And once that went away, I couldn't get into Comic-Con for free anymore, much less be able to interview people or, you know, go to uh, screenings, etc. That was a huge tangent, which is what we do best here on Tangent Cast. I'm not good at promoting my own work. I'm not good at saying I think this is good and I worked hard on it and I would like you to buy it or go see it or, well, go see it. I would like you to buy it, which is something that you have to be able to do unless you are traditionally published and your publishing house does all the press for you. You need to be able to do what the guys do at that yearly writer's conference that I go to do where they say, you know, I've, I've written this book. It's available in the bookstore. It's available on my website. It's really good. You would like it. It's worth your 1850 or whatever you paid for it. You need to be able to do that and you need to be able to talk about it over and over and over again and not sigh and say, oh, this shit again. It's something that I have never learned how to do. And it is an indispensable skill. Hatchling is a book that I wrote during the pandemic. It was inspired by my friend Ian saying that we're going to do some productions for this cable station that he worked for. Uh, He was, I want to say he's head of programming for this very, very small station. And they were looking for little projects that people could do on the cheap. And uh, they were going to test the waters by doing some stuff in audio. And I was like, oh, that's my bread and butter, baby. And so he contacted me and said, hey, why don't you put together a proposal? And I appreciated him saying that. I remember it was right before Christmas in 2019, but I didn't do anything about it. And then 2020 arrived. And 2020, besides being that whole pandemic year, was the year where I was walking on the clouds and I wanted to change my life and I wanted to exercise and I wanted to write every single day and I wanted to blog every single day and I wanted to fulfill my potential as a human being. I wanted to be better than what I was, than what I am. And so I contacted him and I said, hey, is it too late to do this? I'm so sorry I never got back to you. I was just afraid. And he's like, yeah, what do you, what do you have? And I said, listen, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write three paragraphs for potential stories. You pick the one that you think is best and we can develop it together. And yeah, thank you for giving me this chance. The pandemic had happened by this point, And so everything had been stuck in its tracks. It's only been two years, but it is hard sometimes to remember exactly how that was when it first started and school was out. People were trying to go to meetings on Zoom. People were trying to work from home. No one was traveling. No one was going on vacations. People were not socializing. I was afraid sometimes to even go to the store because we didn't know how deadly it was. We didn't know how people were going to catch it. We didn't know what to do, but we were afraid. And... um, Here we are on the other side, and yeah, there are people that say that it was a hoax. There are people that say that, you know, it wasn't that bad, and and (laughs) gas prices were super low in 2020. 
you know, that kind of stuff. That was a paradise. But they hadn't gone forward with much of anything on that station. And so I wrote three perspective, three, three ideas for stories. One was, uh, there are some teen kids that discover that if you mix all the flavors at a soda fountain, that you get mind-reading abilities. It was a story that I had already written, but I liked the idea, and in sending it to Ian, I thought yeah, there was still potential for this story. I ended up writing a second story that takes place that same time. I'm 90% sure I've run it on the show. Okay, I'm 99% sure I've run it on the show. I talked about a story that I wrote when my dad died about a boy who is able to go back in... No, about a, a middle-aged man who is able to go back in time to when his dad was 10 years old and uh, discover that they had something in common. They sort of bond over Captain America. Anyway, I sent that to him. And then I said, uh, some group of kids are exploring a cave and they find an egg, a mysterious egg. What does it belong to? What is it? You know, kind of thing. I sent him these three stories, and the one that he liked was the one about going back in time to when your dad was 10 years old. And so that's what we developed. And eventually, I did write the story, the second story. Not unique combination, but can you read my mind? Or read my mind. It was one of those two. I, I turned into a story. I wrote it because I was writing every single day. and. Uh, for a good long time, I was really enjoying the writing every single day. It was rare that it was a chore. There were always new ideas coming. It was my most productive year, and it will always be. There, I don't ever see, even if somebody said, I'll pay you $10 a word, I do not see myself ever being as motivated as I was that year. But... I, I picked up that third idea, the one about the cave, and I thought, well, I will write that as well. It was supposed to be about kids. I ended up writing it about two teenagers, a boy and a girl. A boy moves in next to this girl. He's 16, she's 17. This is in Arizona, and they go hiking together, and they discover a cave. Well... Let me play you the little sample. Rick was curious about the cave, sure, but he wasn't about to go in there. Anything from spiders to bears lived in caves, and all sorts of dangers in between. But he didn't want the neighbor girl to have to go in there instead of him, especially if something dropped down and bit her or leapt out and grabbed her. She turned back to him. Should I... Go in and look? Talia asked, meeting his eyes. And her face was suddenly vulnerable and very pretty. How had that happened? They were friends, and even if they weren't, he didn't want to look like a coward in front of her. All right, give me the phone. I'll go in. You don't want me to go with you? Well, sure, if you want. He sounded pretty casual to his own ears, and neither afraid of the shadowy cave, nor excited to go someplace dark with a cute girl. Apparently, he was pretty good at acting. She gave him the phone, flashlight still shining, and took hold of his arm with both of her hands. For one brief moment, he felt her rub against him and could smell the nice conditioner smell of her hair. A transformation was going on in his mind of who Talia Giller was and how he felt about her. They walked into the cave together. After three or four steps, the reach of the sun was completely cut off, leaving only darkness around them. Her grip on his arm tightened. What if there's pirate treasure? She whispered. Split it with you, he said, just as quietly. What if there's a skeleton in here? Talia asked. Split that too. They were halfway in. Would you be freaked out to see one? Of course, she said, 
How about a family of angry raccoons? Even scarier, he said. Angry raccoon skeletons, maybe? Talia asked. He shushed her. I don't hear anything, he said. The cave did indeed turn when it reached the wall, and continued down a widening tunnel. Soon it was feet above their heads. Outside the reach of the sun, it was refreshingly cool in here, as well as dark. The tunnel turned again, and Rick could see the light of the flashlight reflected off wet rock ahead of them. Dead end. The end of the tunnel was cold and enclosed, and Talia's breathing could be heard above all else. She was right next to him, and had never seemed more female than she was right now. Maybe, before they got out of here, he should make some kind of move, see if she would let him kiss her. Talia? I... he began. Hey, what's that? She was still whispering. He saw nothing, and she took his wrist and moved the flashlight down toward the floor of the cave. Something round and light-colored was sitting there, at the base of the cave. What is it? he asked. Sure, it wasn't a rock. It was too smooth, too rounded, but not sure what he was looking at. She broke free of his side and went to examine the object. It looks like an egg, she said. Like from an eagle or something? Even as he said it, he knew it was too big to be an egg. It was the size of a football. Maybe a bit smaller, but... Yes, now that she said it, it did look like an egg, just not a chicken egg. Something uglier, more exotic. He'd seen pictures of ostrich eggs before, but even they were smaller than this thing was. And she bent down and put her hand on it. It's sort of scaly and rough. It's like a dinosaur egg. Really? A dinosaur egg? They did find dinosaur bones in the desert parts of the state, he was aware. But it was usually in places where you had to dig. What was the word? Quarries. We should at least take it outside. Look at it in better light, she suggested. Snap a picture. All right he said, and watched her scoop it up in both hands. It's heavy, Talia observed. Then maybe it's just a rock after all. She didn't say anything else to him as she carried it, walking right alongside him, as they went back around, then turned again, and saw the light of day at the exit to the cave. Once they emerged, squinting at the late afternoon sun, she held the egg up so they could examine it, it didn't look like a bird egg, but Rick had seen turtle eggs before, and it was more like that, a yellowish-green color with brown veins in it. I think you're right. It's some kind of dinosaur egg. That's got to be worth something, right? she asked. You mean, like, on eBay? Well, I, I was thinking a dinosaur museum, but sure— eBay's good, too. Just don't drop it, Rick said. Wasn't planning to. Here, give me your shirt. We need something to carry it in. He snorted. This was all part of your plan to get me to take off my shirt. My plan? You found the cave. He peeled off his shirt. She looked at his bare chest, only fleetingly. Nice, she cooed and got his sweaty shirt thrown in her face for saying it. Gross! You've been sweating! Yeah, we're hiking in August. Why aren't you? Because girls don't sweat. They perspire. Was it true? What was the difference? He'd have to look that up later, when he got home. They go in the cave and they discover in this cave an egg, and they can't tell what the egg could belong to. They bring the egg back and keep it a secret and eventually it hatches and the rest of the story is more about them, <laughs> their burgeoning romance and the fallout of that when it 
doesn't go perfectly. And then this hatchling that they are raising together. It's un unlike any story I had ever written. It was a, a real challenge to try and write the start, middle, and end of a relationship. And then also the, all the hatchling stuff, the egg stuff. It was meant to be a short story or a novella. And it ended up being long. It ended up being a novel. And uh, I wrote more than one novel that year. And it got easier to write a novel than the very first time I did it. But I did it. And then here we are. Hatchling, more than any book I've written, has challenged me. It has made me question myself is it's, it's made me paranoid that it's not good enough each chapter is regular chapter length between you know seven and 15 minutes long or 20 minutes long but even on like a seven minute chapter the recording session would go 35 minutes 45 minutes yeah well anyway i struggled as you know, Bob, people become a writer for two reasons. Either they read something that inspires them, that sets their imagination on fire, that makes them say, oh my gosh, I want to tell a story that affects people the way that this affected me. Or they read something that is so mediocre or outright bad that it makes them think, hey, I can do better than this. I should be a writer. I should be putting my stuff out there. If this could get published, then there's nothing holding me back. So I suggest that you go out there and buy a copy of Hatchling, especially the audio version, which I agonized over, because it will be one of those two things. <laughs> I can't guarantee that either. Darn it. It's best that I put it out there and if somebody picks it up and they really like it and they let me know, then I will feel good. And if I never hear that, that somebody really liked it, I will be on to the next project. I have written, as far as novels go, I've written more books in 2020 and after than I did before 2020. But I haven't put them all out there. I need to. I need to keep releasing stuff. Like I said, I wrote Hatchling in 2020. Didn't get it released until 2022. I need to go faster. Need to concentrate more. The nice thing about the summer is that I start going to the cabin where I do a lot of editing. I sit down in a chair that's comfortable and I can edit for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, etc. Each day and that really gets the work done. Plus there is the drive. It's about an hour each way. And uh, I can usually get some podcasting done there. Listening to audiobooks. So hopefully my productivity will skyrocket. <laughs> that is asking too much. Hopefully my productivity will increase greatly. I hope that you buy Hatchling and I hope that you like it and uh, I hope that you are productive in your endeavors, in the things that you aspire to do. Those goals that you put up on the whiteboard or the bulletin board or your mental board. Good luck with those and I will talk to you soon. All right. so. What do I talk about now, huh? Thing is, I had a topic that I could talk about, and I didn't think to record it last week when Big and I got together and we recorded our final Dunstief episode. We recorded it on Monday. And then Wednesday, two days later, I went to the cabin and I focused on it, and I got the whole thing edited. So the turnover was really, really fast. I came back on Thursday, I put it in the Dropbox, 
I'm sure he had to listen to it and do what he does to it, but now it's out. The final episode has come out. I almost said it's come and gone, but no one's really gone as long as we remember them. But I, I should have recorded something. I should have said a few words about the end of the Doonstief. And, and I have talked about it a bit on my Patreon addresses month to month. The final episode has been in the making for almost a year and a half, a year and a quarter at least, when I asked Big if he wanted to voice half of the characters on a story of mine, which I've already run, it's, it's already come and gone here, called Know When to Walk Away, Know When to Run. But I thought it would be fun to do it in full cast instead of just me recording it by myself. And I was never satisfied with that story. There are plenty of stories that I've written that I go, ah, that's not really good or that's not as good as I wanted it to be. But that one was kind of unique in that I felt like I had done something wrong. Like there was still gas in the tank, but I had never shifted out of third gear or something like that. And so during the pandemic, I got it out one day during that time when I was writing every single day. And I looked through it and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to deepen this character a little bit. I'm going to mention why they're in the casino and maybe it will become closer to the story that came to my mind that night when we were at the casino and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be scary if kind of thing. The story, you've heard me talk about it on this show. If Maybe I can find which episode it was and put a link to it. But more importantly would be putting a link to the final Doonstief episode because that's what this is about. Not so much know when to walk away, know when to run. But that story, I just, I liked the idea of having a friend who was more world savvy, more world weary than me, who, who could look out for, you know, a, a, a friend slash big brother. Because I never really had that. I, I, I guess I've, I've had glimpses of what that would be like. And then I had uncles that were like big brothers. But there's still the uncle factor where, you know, their, their relationship in some ways was more parental than friendly. And I liked the idea of two friends go to a casino and one of them gets really drunk. Then, you know, a monster shows up. And because he's really drunk, he doesn't know what to do about it. And I, anyhow, I mentioned it to Big. I said, hey, let's run this on the show. It would be fun. All the time, when I say all the time, every month or so, maybe every other month, let's say, it, would just to, it, it was actually much closer to every month. But let's say every other month I would mention to Big, hey, we should do a podcast about this topic. We should sit down and do a that gets my goat about this. Oh, did you hear about this thing? Oh my gosh. We should talk about it on the podcast. And we didn't. The podcast was, for all extents and purposes, dead. That was sad. And it was frustrating because I really enjoy podcasting. And I got the impression that Big did too. And he certainly enjoyed getting together with me. And maybe... Him moving to Texas contributed to the downfall of the podcast in a, a major way because we could no longer get together and record. Use the podcast as an excuse to stay in contact, to see each other, to talk about our lives and our worlds. And I remember fondly the Mondays that we used to spend together. We would meet usually at Target, sometimes at Wendy's and we would sometimes get food, but we would always talk. He would tell me about what was going on in his life. Uh, he was telling me about whatever he'd gotten a uh, bee in his bonnet about. And, and he would tell me about story ideas that he had. Or, his, his stuff is almost always novel ideas. 
big, I think, as a born novelist, where I, I am much more of a short story writer, much more comfortable with short stories, and I think much better at writing short stories. But he would tell me these ideas, and for the most part, nothing would ever come of them. But he was a really, really clever story guy. And he had a way of telling me this idea that he had that he was excited about to make me feel excited about it too. And that's a, a powerful storytelling ability. It's a gift. Anyhow, I miss that. And I miss the two of us getting together. And when I said, you know, I have this story, he said, yeah, sure, let's run it. And here's the thing. It can be the last episode of the Dune Steve. And I said, wait, what? Why? And he said, because you've got to know when to walk away and know when to run. And um, from that point on, I was the one that dragged my feet. I didn't want us to get together and podcast because I didn't want it to be the last episode. And in 2022, he turned the pressure on or turned it up a little bit higher and we did get together and record the story months ago. And then he was going to ask some people to do their lines and send them in and then he would edit it together, etc. You know what it's like to produce well maybe you don't. But the 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 Dunstief was always a lot of work, even if it was a very bare bones production, it was work. And doing a full cast production with music and sound effects was an incredible amount of work. And I don't blame Big for running out of gas. But that's what he chose to do for this final episode. And we had recorded a last show way back in like 2010, 2011, or 2012, somewhere around then. And I had edited it way back then and just kept it in our back pocket. And part of the reasoning for that was that I, I'm not the easiest person to be a friend with. And it was possible that we would have a falling out and the show would not exist anymore because of that. And I thought it would be nice to have that in our back pocket from back when we were friends, from back when we really cared about the show and we could, uh, we could run it and have a, a goodbye on, on good terms. Now that didn't happen. A decade went by and we still maintained our friendship even after he moved to Texas. But we did not do so well with the Dune Steve. I feel like we did better with That Gets My Goat because that was my podcast. That was my baby. I was the one that would come up with the themes for the themes with the topics for that. I was the one that would edit it. And so we maintained that show for a little while, but eventually Big didn't want to go to the movies anymore, or he didn't want to go to the movies early on enough so that we could record about him. And part of that was that he didn't want to go alone. Like his oldest son grew up and, and oh boy, I mean that literally. He is a fudging giant, a big lumbering brute of a man. And as soon as he could, he moved away. He moved out of the house. And so that limited Big's potential viewing partners. His wife would rather die than go see a movie with him. He's got a couple of daughters that would go to movies from time to time. And they liked the Marvel stuff. They liked the animated stuff kind of thing. But eventually his oldest daughter grew up and moved away. And, uh, now he's only got two kids left, but one of them's graduated from high school and uh, the other one's discovered crack. So, you know, it's, it, it worked out just fine. No, that, that was probably not cool. Luckily, Big Anklevich will never, never, listen, never, to never listen, listen to this. Just like the Hatchling audiobook. So the process was very, very fast once Big had decided that that's what he was going to work on. I guess I'll have to talk to him at some point about what decided him ultimately, okay, the time is now. 
But he edited that in record time. And once I had mine edited on Wednesday, he thought, oh, shoot, that means I'm going to have to set up the Patreon account because I said, by the time you guys are hearing this, I have a Patreon fund. And I thought, <laughs> and I was wrong. The laugh was on the other side of my teeth. And he set up a Patreon. It's active there. Uh, amazingly, it's right there. He, he's got one. Uh, if you want to support Big on Patreon, he's going to start doing ankle casts regularly. Say what? And I, he says that every single ankle cast is going to be a story episode of a story that he has written. Say what? And um, what's even weirder is he said that I'm going to be on those episodes. Say what? And so he wants us to get together tonight and record the first of those ankle casts. I, he's not messing around. So I, I, it could be that he was visited by three spirits. Uh, it could be something else. I, maybe I'll ask him tonight what it was that decided him. But you're listening to this, and that means that the Doonstief is, is no more. The Doonstief is over. And yeah, we limp to the finish line, not limped, not even crawled. Maybe our uh, the corpse was dragged across the finish line. We, we have not had a lot of activity in the past year or more. And that's too bad because it was a fun project that you could really put your heart into. And we had so many people who volunteered to help us. We never paid anybody to help us with the Dune Steve. We never paid ourselves. <laughs> there were so many people that were willing to help and that made the show more special and people that became friends with us because of the Steef. And Big and I became better friends because we had this project in common. And, and, and there were times that we didn't agree. I mean, now that it's over, you have no idea how much I hated the theme music that he had picked for the Steve. And the first couple of episodes, he wanted it underlaid throughout the episode from beginning to end. Say. Say. What? what? That's just, that's agony. I, oof. But for the most part, we were often in agreement on things. There were times when I picked a story and he wasn't thrilled with it. And there were times when he picked a story and I wasn't thrilled with it. But we were in it together. Uh, we were willing to compromise. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of movies and movie making. And I like to know the details and the uh, minutiae and the, the process of how movies got made or how they almost ended up being made. And, and you see these big clashes of ego all the time so-and-so said the wrong thing to so-and-so or and they were fired or there was a big tug of war uh, over who had control or whose ideas were right and it destroys friendship and a lot of times destroyed the movie itself and that can totally happen in any creative endeavor and with the dune steve you know the the, the worst it ever got with that kind of thing, with, with a battle of egos, was big saying that, you know, some a joke that I had made was inappropriate, worrying about offending people, which we did anyway, you know, when we would f offend listeners and there would be people that would rage quit the show, uh, that would bother me. But, uh, except for one episode, it's sort of water off a duck's back. You know, maybe it did bother me that week, but a couple weeks later, I didn't care anymore. Uh, but there, there was still one episode there. Oh, you know what? <laughs> there were two episodes. There was one where uh, somebody didn't like the story that I had written. It was my one of my stories, and we got a lot of criticism for it. And we sort of had an informal policy that we wouldn't remove people's comments. People could say what they wanted and we would leave them on there. 
And uh, yeah, people did not like that story uh, that I had run on the show. And it was one of my favorites. I was very proud of it. And that hurt. But, you know, it, we're a decade on and I think that they're wrong. I think that it is an excellent story, if I do say so myself. And then there was uh, an episode where we said stuff uh, about, in, in the post-conversation bit, and people pitched a fit about that. We, we, that was when people said I, that they rage quit, that they, they, they were not going to ever listen again. And the funny thing is that one still bothers me. Whereas the, you know, criticism of the story that I wrote doesn't. And I think there's probably a psychological aspect to that that we could go into if you wanted to. But basically, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking in circles. For the most part, Big and I always got along. Even if we didn't see completely eye to eye, we we were a partnership on that show and now that it's gone it's easy to focus only on the positive like when somebody dies and you just remember the good times you just remember the high points because there's no point in remembering the low points you know like i said the Steve show introduced us to some people that we became friends with that we still talk to today uh, fans people that support us in our separate endeavors there were people that supported us to the bitter end on the Steve. that kept donating to the Steve, even though we didn't do any new episodes um, ultimately, I mean, it wasn't enough people that supported it because Big was having to pay for it out of pocket. And that wasn't cool. But what is? There are people that we became friends with through the Dune Steef that are gone from our lives now. And maybe if we had continued to do the show, they wouldn't be. And um, that's too bad. But things change things just like big's family moving away um which sucked for me because my friend was gone and it, you know it sucks for big too because i call him at work three days a week four days a week say what how horrible would that be can you i want you to think about it you're trying to do your job and it's not a job where it's just like okay i need to stamp this and put this in a filing cabinet it's a job where you have to edit. Edit sound, edit video, you have to concentrate, and then your phone rings. And it's the same guy that called yesterday and called two days before that. Imagine the hell of that, sir. Or ma'am. But, you know, I guess we're talking about me, not him. It will be fun to see if Big can keep up his ankle cast and if he continues to want to have me on it because that's the thing with collaboration is you you are not free to just do whatever you want whenever you want when there's other people involved you have to sync up your schedules you have to try and maintain the other person's interest somebody kind of has to be the coach on that and for the ankle cast it, that person is going to be big and so yeah we will see what happens starting tonight as i said uh, this has not been a long episode, and that is by design. I apologize. I always meant for the hatchling thing to be at the start of a regular episode, and, and, and that wasn't the case. But, you know, on, on the off chance that Big is listening to this. Say what? Stop it! Um, thank you for the many years that we did the Steef together, and for the times when I didn't want to do it, and you did. And... Um, for those of you who listened, who helped keep the show going, I thank you too. And those of you who have followed me from the Doonstief to this show, <laughs> there's very few of you, but 
you're out there. Thank you for that. Thanks for the support. Thanks for being a fan. And um, Badoonstief is never really gone as long as we remember it. I've been Rich Outfield. Take care. Special thanks to Gino Morito, who created the logo. Gino? This burlap sack filled with squirming madness was produced under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. It means that you may copy and download the file, free of charge, but it does not belong to you. Hence, you cannot charge for it or alter it for your own perfidious purposes. And please consider going to www.patreon.com forward slash Richoutfield to support the show if you appreciate any part of the madness. Good night. Here I was, here it was, the moment I'd imagined since I was a small, wide-eyed Nebraska kid. The moment I'd imagined since I was a small, wide-eyed Nebraska kid. The moment I'd imagined since I was a small, wide-eyed... The moment I'd imagined since I was a small, wide-eyed kid out... Wide-eyed kid in the suburbs... Since I was a small, wide-eyed kid in the suburbs of Lincoln, Nebraska. It was supposed to inspire other survivors, the publishers said. But had given up, partly. But had given up, partway. F- but had given up, partway. F- but had given up, partway through. I hate this. I'm sorry. I'm going to do Disneyland Sidewalk. Disneyland Sidewalk in your pantaloons. In your pantaloons. In your pantaloons. Disneyland Sidewalk. Here are some pictures that match. Thank you. I'm going to say red and orange brickwork, my mother. I don't know what to do. I don't know if, if, if they're done or not. During the pandemic, I got it out one day. <laughs>